Thanks, Amy. Um, and hello, uh, welcome again to Kingsway. Uh, it's good to see some old faces. It's good to see some new faces. It's good to try to figure out uh, if you're old or new because you can't really tell with the masks. Um, but it's good, good to have you, especially the guys joining us online. I'm very happy to have you. Uh, I've actually got a friend here who's dropping by, um, which is super cool. Um, he's friends with Sun as well. We studied at TAFE back in 2003 together doing uh, 3D animation. And he pursued that and did, um, he was, he, he's great now, he's a great drawer, and I obviously dropped out because <laughs> I wasn't good at drawing. Um, but yeah, if, if you want to go see him, he's over there, his name's Joseph, uh, please say hi to him. Um, but yes, everyone here, uh, welcome. Uh, I see some friends of people here, uh, we're very happy uh, that you've joined us. Um, I just want to continue our series today. If you haven't been with us, uh, we've been going through a series called Life. Uh, this is the third week. And this series is based off a kind of a get-to-know-Jesus or get-to-know-Christianity course um, built by a church in the Central Coast called EV Church. And that course is going to end up being our you know, get-to-know-Christianity course. Uh, but as we started Kingsway, I wanted to take all of us through it. Right? And so I've taken these kind of seminar-based talks, I've kind of, kind of changed them up to be sermons, and that's what we've been going through uh, for the last two weeks. Uh, in the first week... We heard some massive claims uh, that Jesus makes, um, namely that he says he is the one who gives the full abundant life, right? And this comes freely, right, if we would believe in him. At the end of that talk, I said, we've got three conclusions we can make about Jesus, that he's either a lunatic, he's a liar, or if he's neither of those two, that he's really Lord, Right, last week, I kind of built on that, and I said, well, actually, there's a fourth kind of conclusion you can make, and that Jesus is a legend, right? that he's fake, an urban myth, fictional character. And so we looked at the Bible, namely the Gospels, which is the first four books of the New Testament, to look at their reliability. Right? Can we really trust that these books are you know, from eyewitnesses? Can we trust that they've been passed on through thousands of years in a reliable way? And we kind of went through those things, and the conclusion was... Yes, right? Compared to other ancient texts, the New Testament is unrivaled, right, in terms of its preservation and purity, right? And it was up to you to make a conclusion whether you agreed with that or not. And so this week, we're going to build on that and ask the question, why did Jesus have to die? If Jesus was a real person, if he really was God come in the flesh, why did he have to die? And what does that have to do with you and me? Right, I've got two points today. I'm going to jump into the first one. We're going to look at the problem. All right, we'll just jump into it. Actually, I need the slides because I've got a little picture here for us. Oh, you're at the end of the slides. This, this is the last, last slide. We're a new church, we're, we're ironing out the kinks. Um, this, is all, this is all fun, right? <laughs> they told me not to use this program and I was stubborn about it and this is, this is what I get for trying to use this, this, this program. It's my fault. Are we good? All right. Because I've got this picture for us, uh, which outlines the problem. And you might have seen this. Imagine there's a ladder with uh, 10 rungs, right? 10 steps of the ladder. And the top ladder is, the, the top rung is basically uh, holiness. And that's where God is, right at the top. And at the bottom, at the lowest uh, rung of the ladder, you can think of you know, as evil, 
right? The worst kind of person you can think of. And so where would you place these people you know, that are put around the ladder? And maybe you can't see it at the back, it's people like Mother Teresa, Elon Musk, he's the richest person in the world now, apparently. Apostle Paul, a thief, a murderer, right? The person next to you, right? Well, how would you put these people? Right? Maybe uh, you put it something like this. The anticipation. Right? We'll probably put Mother Teresa right near the top. She was a good person, did a lot of good things, very selfless, gave her life away to serve other people. Right? Maybe you put the Apostle Paul above her, because right? it's in the Bible, he did a lot of great things for God. Right? You put under them, maybe Elon Musk, I don't know if you know much about him, I don't too much, but you know, he seems like a good person, so we kind of put him in the middle. You put the thief low, they did some bad things obviously, they stole some stuff, so you maybe put him on the third place. The murderer right at the bottom, at worst or the worst, at the bottom of the ladder. The person next to you, right above the murderer, I'm just joking, that was a joke, um, but maybe you think that. Um, the person next to you, you put them wherever. Right, where would you put Jesus in this ladder? Right, I'd say that most of us would put him at the top. Right, well, the Bible says he's at the top at least, right at the top, the 10th rung. And the question then is, right, where would you put yourself? In amongst a sea of people, right, where 10 is holiness and 0 is evil, where would you place yourself? I think of a number between 0 and 10. Right, if you put 5, can you put up your hand? No, I'm just joking. Uh, but I reckon most of us, we probably put our hands around, uh, put our number around here. Right? We put ourselves maybe a bit above average, 7 out of 10. I think that's the most common number that people give. 7 out of 10 means, you know, I know I'm not that good to place myself at the top, but I don't think I'm that bad to place myself at the bottom. And so maybe I'll put myself a little bit above average. And that perhaps leads us to the conclusion that in the sea of you know, billions of people in this world, you know, I'm pretty good. And if I ever do stand before God, right, even if you don't believe in God, right, if he ends up being true, I think he'd be okay with me. Right? He'd look at me and say, you're a pretty good guy. You're a pretty good girl. You've done some bad stuff, but you know, the good stuff has outweighed the bad. You know, I'll let you into heaven. But maybe that's our conclusion uh, when we come to evaluate ourselves. Uh, what I'm going to say is that we, we make two mistakes right, when we think about it this way. Right? The, God's Word tells us that we're pretty much off the mark, right? if that's what you're thinking. If, if that's how you scale yourself and other people, you've got it wrong in these two ways. And the first way we get it wrong is that we've got the wrong goal line. What I mean by that is we think being good enough is, is good enough. Like in an exam, when you sit it through high school or university, 50%, right? We think 50%, that red line, that, that's the halfway line. It doesn't look like that. It's like an optical illusion that's actually halfway. That 50%, as long as I'm above that line, I'll be good. As long as my good outweighs my bad, as long as you know, the things that I've done in my life, if I step back, you know, the, the positive things, a, a little bit more than the negative, I should be okay. But the Bible says that this is the wrong goal line. 50% isn't the, the line that God draws. God's cutoff line, the Bible says, is up here. It's 10 out of 10. It's perfection. The Apostle Peter, he writes this in his letter. But as he who called you is holy, right? as God is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
Right? This is the standard that God actually puts on us all. That if there is a ladder, he says 10 out of 10 is a cutoff line. To pass this exam, you need to get 100%. Right? That's what we read. Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, he says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so because the line is 10 out of 10, all of us, we've fallen short. Because all of us have at least once in our lives you know, done something that displeases God. All of us have lied or, or stolen something, maybe in primary school. Right? We've thought wrong things, evil things. Right? All of us, we've, we're at least right, off the top. That's the first mistake we make. We have the wrong goal line. The second mistake is that we have the wrong guideline. Well, we scale it wrong. Because what we tend to do in this ladder when we place ourselves at 7 out of 10 is we're comparing ourselves to each other. Right? We look at the person next to us, you know, a group of friends, and we say, well, you know, this person may be an 8, but that person's like a 3, and that person's like a 2. Well, gauging myself off these other people, I'm a bit above average, and we stick ourselves at 7 out of 10. But when we do that, we end up misjudging just how holy God is and we misjudge just how bad we are in his sight. Now, let me give you an example of what I mean. Uh, I, I have a newborn. I don't know if you, I can call her a newborn anymore. She's a baby, uh, eight months old, Zoe. Uh, a few months ago, uh, I was doing the night shift. And so I'd w woken up in the AMs. I'd fed her, and she had pooed. Right? And so I changed her nappy, cleaned her up. I put her to bed. Uh, but in the midst of like that tiredness, I forgot to put the nappy in the bin, and I'd left it in the room. Right? This is an enclosed room, it's quite small if you've been to our place. The door was closed shut, and I'd left it there, and I went back to sleep right? for like six hours, just sleeping in a room with this nappy there. And I don't know if you know, but babies' nappies can get like <laughs> quite smelly. And so it's sitting there, and I'm just sleeping away. And in the morning, my wife walked into the room, she opens the door, and the first thing she says was, whoa! Right, what's that smell? And I woke up and I went, what smell? Because right, I couldn't smell it. Right, I'd gotten so used to like, the stink of the nappy that it, it meant nothing to me. And that's kind of what it is like for us and sin. Right, we are so used to sin that when we see it, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't seem like sin anymore. Right, we're kind of um, used to it, basically. The Bible says that we were born into sin, right? Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And if, so from the moment of birth all the way through, we've been in sin. We're people of sin. We're around people of sin. We're in a world that is broken and stained by sin. And so we're just kind of used to sin. And so now when we see it, it doesn't seem as bad as it really is. And so we look at our friend and we think, oh, you're pretty good, you're a seven, but really, they're worse than that. And we look at ourselves and we think, I'm pretty good, right? I'm a six or a five or a seven, but in reality, we are much worse than that. Right? We simply do not see sin the way that we should. Right? Which is why, if you look at the Bible, sometimes we read stories of God's judgment and we think, oh, that's a bit harsh, God. Like, did that person really deserve to be like, struck down in that very moment? Right? And that, we think that way because we're not seeing sin as bad as it is. And we don't see God's holiness as holy as it really is. 
God's evaluation of the world is like this, Psalm 52. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. That's That's a complete, utter failure of mankind. And God's judgment when he looks at the world is that all have fallen. All are corrupt. No one does good. And so rather than you know, scaling us, you know, where we're at a seven or whatever, the reality is we're all at the bottom of this ladder. In the sight of a holy God, right, it's not that the murderer is the same as us, right? right? Those sins are, you know, in, in some senses different. But in the judgment of God, sin is sin. And we've all sinned. Right? And we're all falling short. And it's not only that, God's 10 is really, it should be more like 100. And so it's like we're trying to measure ourselves by a ladder when in reality God is at the top of you know, the tallest building in the world. This is uh, the Burj Khalif, I think. The tall is, is right at the top. Right? That's how high he is in his holiness. Like so we just don't really comprehend how high he is and we don't comprehend how low we are. I know this isn't like cheery stuff. (laughs) You came to Sunday to hear a happy message and I'm just saying, you're a horrible person. But we need to begin here. We need to begin with the problem in order to long for a solution. The Bible says that there is a great separation between you and God. And no matter how much you try, we are so full and short that you cannot climb your way up to the top of God. Right, Tom Cruise, in that movie, he, he tried to climb that building. Right? But we're not Tom Cruise. We can't climb the top of the building. We can't get to God no matter how much we try. We are far from good, and therefore we are far from God. And that leaves us with a problem because the Bible also says that we deserve something for our failures. Romans 6 says, for the wages of sin is death. Right, the wage, wage is something that you earn. You go to work, you work three hours, you earn a certain amount of money, but this is the negative view. When you do bad, you've earned something, and what we have earned for our sin, the Bible says, is death. And death comes in two ways. Physical death, right? we know that because of our sin, we will die physically, but also spiritual death. Right? And this is shown in our separation from God, and unless something is changed, we will live for all eternity separated from Him. And so before I move on to the next point, which is the solution that God gives, right, would you agree with that assessment of yourself? Would you agree with what the Bible says, that you are not a 7 out of 10? That you are, with the rest of humanity, very far from God, very far from holiness. And that what you deserve is punishment and judgment from God. But that is the first point, and we need to Agree with that to a certain degree in order for you to care about what I say next. I want to move on to the second and last point, which is God's solution. Assuming with me that all these things I said are true, what do we do about it? How do we fix this problem of being so far from God? We want to have a relationship with Him. We want to spend our eternity in heaven, but we're all the way down here. What are we going to do about that? Well, the answer is simple, you might think. God is loving, isn't he? He can just forget about it. 
Or forgive and forget what I've done. Don't worry about it. Let's just wipe it clean. Let's move on. Right? Can't God just do that? And even though some of those things I said are true, God is loving, but He is patient, He is merciful. That's only half the story. Even though God is loving, He's also a God of justice. So He won't just forgive and forget. Deuteronomy, it says, The rock, that's God, His work is perfect. For all His ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is He. Psalm 89 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Justice doesn't sound like an attractive word. You might think, oh, I don't like justice. In reality, we all desire justice to a certain degree, and we all demand it. I don't know if you... Like, when we watch movies, I was thinking of John Wick this week. John Wick, you know that movie? You know, the, I don't think I'm ruining it because all of this happens early on. If you don't want it ruined, you can block your ears. In the first movie, basically, John Wick, he's a guy, he used to be an assassin. Now, some guys break into his house, they steal his car, and they kill his dog. And because of that, for the rest of the movie, he goes on a rampage and kills about, like, I don't know, 300 people. Right, but that, that start bit, you killed his dog, and you stole his car, right? brews up in us a desire for justice. Right? We demand it, which is why we watch this whole movie where he kills a bunch of people, and we're like, yes, 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 right? Because we want justice. Now, that justice is, is wrong. That's obviously not justice. That's murder. But that's, that's what it is inside of us, right? We desire justice. So that when we see something wrong, like someone's dog being murdered, we want like, some sort of penalty to be paid. Right? If you were in court and someone had murdered a loved one and the judge says, you know what, I've had a good day, it's good weather, my coffee this morning was perfect, so I'm just going to let you go. Don't worry about that murder, don't worry, I'm just going to let you go, I'm compassionate. Well, how would you feel? Right? The person who had hurt your loved one just gets to go free. We wouldn't just be okay with that. We would demand justice. We know that justice is right. It is proper. Some form of consequence must be incurred. And so when we look at ourselves and our sins, there must be justice. God being right and proper is a just God. It would not be proper for him to say, don't worry about it. He would lose his justice. And that's not the way God works. And so there's only one of two options we really have. God is going to be unjustly merciful. So he'll lose his justice and say, don't worry, forgive and forget. Right? But doing that, he will no longer be God. He will lose his character of being a just God. The second option then is that he will be justly, right, unmercifully just. So he won't show us mercy, he'll punish us as we deserve. He'll give us death. We'll have eternal separation in hell. Right? That's really what should happen. Unless there's another option. Unless God somehow, in his infinite wisdom, figures out a way where his justice and his mercy are able to work together. And that's what he's done. This is where Jesus steps into the story. 
Right, you probably know about the story of Jesus. At the age of 33, he leads his disciples to Jerusalem, knowing that his death awaits him there. Jesus had prophesied about it. He told his disciples, I'm going to go die. They didn't really understand. You know that question we're trying to answer? Why did Jesus have to die? They didn't get it at that point either. He shares a Passover meal with his disciples. And Judas then sneaks away to sell out Jesus for some money. Jesus is then arrested. He's found guilty by the religious leaders in an unfair trial. And he's ultimately condemned to death by crucifixion by Roman leaders. On the lead, on the lead up to crucifixion, Jesus is whipped with a cat of nine tails, which in itself is known to kill people. He has to carry his heavy cross, which nearly crushes him, and is pinned to this cross by nails, driven through his wrist and feet. A crown of thorns are embedded into his head. And then he's hung up on a cross to die the most excruciatingly painful death the Romans could invent. They'd invented crucifixion to be torturous. And that is how God the Son dies. And Jesus hangs there naked, a mockery to the world, right? spat at by people and ridiculed. And all of that is nothing compared to what he went through spiritually. Jesus went through physical agony, but it's nothing compared to his spiritual agony that he endured on the cross. Right, the last words of Jesus are recorded by Mark in Mark 15. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried. With a loud voice. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment on the cross, Jesus was God forsaken. It's a curious but crucial phrase, forsaken by God. The once perfect relationship that God the Father had with God the Son is now torn at the cross. And so bringing it back to what I talked about before, why did Jesus have to die? Why is Jesus forsaken here? Justice and mercy. Jesus died and was forsaken because of God's mercy. For reasons we may not never completely understand, God looked at humanity, and rather than giving us what we deserved, which is judgment, punishment, death, he wanted to extend to us mercy out of his love. He wanted to take away that judgment, take away that death, and that is why Jesus came to die. Ephesians 1, it says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins. Right, This is where we are, at the bottom of the ladder. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Right? This is where we were. We were deserving of God's wrath, his anger. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved right all of those verses there were a lot of words there 
It's saying that Jesus was forsaken and he died because of the Father's mercy. He loved you so much, he wanted to take away the punishment for your sins. And though we deserved separation, though we deserved judgment, the loving Father sent his Son to make a way. Right? So that Jesus would take the punishment instead of us. That's why he's forsaken at the cross. We should be forsaken for our sins. But the sinless one was forsaken in our place. That's why Jesus had to die. That's the second reason. Jesus had to die and was forsaken because of that justice. In the justice of God, he could not simply forgive and forget our sins. He needed to pour out his wrath and judgment on someone. And so Jesus put up his hand and said, yes, I will stand in that place. That's what he's doing at the cross. Receiving what you and I should receive. So what Jesus accomplishes at the cross is justice and mercy. Right? Mark 10, 45. It says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What's that word ransom mean? It means, you know, someone is in a position where they can't get themselves out of, and I'm going to pay the price to set them free. Right? That's what a ransom is. And that's what Jesus does on the cross. He looks at us, enslaved to sin, right, the recipients of judgment and mercy, and he pays the price to set us free. He does it all. So at the cross... Jesus, God the Son, receives the full brunt of God's anger and judgment and death to pay the price for our sins. To put it in an analogy, it's like this. This is you and this is God. And we should be with God, but the problem is there's sin, right? And so this is sin, this is the weight of sin, and it stands between you and God. Alright, so it's a heavy weight. And what Jesus does is that he comes along, I wish I had a third hand, and he takes that sin on himself so that you are free. Right? Free from the weight of sin and free from the separation that stood there between you and the Father. And God looks at Jesus. He sees your sin and he pours out his anger on him. But it's not just your sin, is it? Because Jesus then takes you know, the person next to you. And then he takes the other person. And imagine a world full of sin stacked up on Jesus and the weight of that. And the Father's anger poured out on him. This is what happened at the cross. This is God's solution. And God figures out a way where his justice and mercy are both answered. I'm going to end with the analogy I started off with. The problem I outlined was that you know, God's at the top and you and I are you know, at the bottom. This, this image or this understanding is not unique to Christianity, by the way. Other religions will probably say similar things. God is at the top, and you know, humanity is at the, bo the bottom. What is unique to Christianity, the Christian faith, is what happens next. Because other religions will do, again, one of two things. Their God will be unjustly merciful, 
So he will just decide, you know, I'm just going to forgive your, your sins. I'm, I'm not going to forgive your sins. Right? He's just going to decide on a whim who he will forgive. Or they have a God who is unmercifully just. And the solution is then try harder. Give more. Climb higher. Right? You make your way up the ladder to me. Maybe not in this life. Maybe in the next or the next or the next. But keep climbing because you've got to make your way to the top. But in Christianity, God has made a way for us in Jesus so that he, again, maintains his justice and mercy. At the cross, God, in his infinite wisdom, was more than unmercifully just or unjustly merciful. He's both. He's just because sin is punished. He's merciful because he's made a way for you and me, because our sin was punished by Christ. What's unique to Christianity is that God doesn't demand us to climb up. He climbs down in the person of Jesus. That's what we celebrated a few weeks ago. Right? Jesus was born. It's a big deal. God came to us. What a mind-boggling statement. And the reason he comes down to us is so that he will live, he will die, justice and mercy, and that he will then kind of carry us on his back, back up to the Father. Second Corinthians, it says, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right? That's what's happening here. Jesus, who is sinless, is at the top. He became sin. He was treated as if he were a sinner right at the bottom with us. He traded places with us so that if we would believe in him, we might be the righteousness of Christ. Right? He will take us up to the top. And this has nothing to do with what you've done. You don't earn this. You don't do this. Right? The whole point of that ladder is that you cannot climb your way to the top. You believe. Right? You put your faith in Jesus. And you turn away from your old life. It, it, it seems too good to be true. Just believe and you will be forgiven. Like, just believe and he will wipe away your sins. Just believe and the perfection of Christ will be attributed to you as if you were perfect. You're not, you're, we're not perfect. But God would look at you as if you are. Just like he looked at the son as if he were a sinner. Right? Believe and you will be free. We call this the good news of Jesus. This is the gospel. This is everything to us as Christians. It's one of the core values at Kingsway. We're gospel-centered, and this is what we talk about. This is what we celebrate. This is what makes us Christian by believing in this, and this is what can make you a child of God today. But if you believe in this message that Jesus came to die on the cross for your sins, but to make a way that your relationship with the Father could be restored. If you believe in that, you will be a Christian today and your eternity will be changed. Why did Jesus have to die? Because there is a problem, a problem of sin. It separates you from the Father, but what is the solution? It's Jesus. He lived, he died, he rose again. Would you believe in him today? Right, let's close our eyes. Let's spend 30 seconds in prayer. 
and then the praise team will come up and they'll sing a song. And as we pray, I just, I just want you to spend just 30 seconds just between you and God. It's not about the person next to you. And what I talked about today really is just everything to us at Kingsway. Um, it's a difference between hell and heaven, between not knowing God and being in a relationship with Him, being burdened by our failures and mistakes and sins versus being set free. You are made to know God. You are made for a relationship with Him. But we cannot be good enough. And it's about time you stop trying to make your way to Him. You can't. You and I, we, we fail. We, we make mistakes. We, we sin. But God, in His great love for us, sent His Son. And Jesus did it all. Would you believe in Him today? I just want us to spend 30 seconds just thinking about that message, the Gospel message, and whether you would agree with that and accept it as your own truth today. Let's spend 30 seconds in prayer. Let's pray.